Amen. This is what God is calling us to do. And to begin this year, we're going to kick off a series based on that theme. And um, I hinted towards this at the end of last year in December, started kind of a pre-series called Groundwork. And we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. So if you can join me now, Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 3. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse number 3. Amen. It says, And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Someone say, Amen. I'm going to preach and talk a little bit today on the power of prayer and fasting. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this moment that we have in your presence. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and we know it, and we recognize it. Thank you, God, for visiting us once again, for touching your people. Thank you, Lord, for the worship, the praise that has been brought forth with excellence, God, for your name. But we have also benefited, God, because you are in this place, God, and you inhabit the praises of your people. Now, God, I pray that you would speak to us, touch our hearts, touch our spirits, Lord. I ask God for a special anointing, an extraordinary anointing today, Lord, to deliver this word, God, to the hearts of your people. Father, I ask that all this would be done in your name, in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. September 11, 2001 is a date that is forever etched in history due to the tragic events that unfolded on that fateful day in the United States. In the days following, churches across America were filled to the brim with people searching for answers, uh, wanting to find some kind of hope or solution to what they were seeing. 9-11 fell on a Tuesday, which uh, happened to be our weekly prayer night at my local church. And I have vivid memories of that night. I'll never forget what I saw when I walked into the church that evening. The place was packed. The altars were full. People were on their faces. Um, there was a lot of weeping and praying that was occurring. I, I saw new faces and I saw old faces who I had not seen in a long time. In all of my years, I had never experienced anything like that. On September 11th. Uh, in all of my years, I have never seen uh, that type of uh, prayer night on, on a Tuesday night, people coming together. And the momentum continued uh, the next Sunday with a full house. There was a sense of urgency in the air. People were afraid. They, they were stunned. They were shaken. They, they wanted peace. They, they wanted hope. And this continued for uh, several weeks, at least in, in, I'm talking in, in my local church. 
Uh, it continued for, for several weeks. It, this uh, momentum, people were coming and the altars were filled. And, 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 and it, it continued that way for, for a couple of months. But sadly, it didn't sustain us. Because many of those people really didn't want to surrender to God. They just wanted to feel better. And once they felt better, and once they kind of got over the initial shock and the initial trauma of what had taken place on that day, uh, everyone started going back to life as usual. Everyone kind of went back to uh, the way things were. And we saw, unfortunately, that as wonderful as it was to see those people come together, it did not last very long. It wore off almost as quickly as it came. Now, when we picture that in our minds, contrast that with what took place here in Nehemiah. When the news of Jerusalem's broken walls had reached Nehemiah, it did more than just affect him emotionally. It did more than just break his heart. It broke his spirit. It changed his outlook. It changed his priorities. It reordered and redefined his world and restructured everything about his life. It gave him a new sense of purpose, identity, and destiny. Unlike what I saw uh, a little over 20 years ago, after the days after 9-11, what happened to Nehemiah was indeed a life-altering, earth-shaking experience. Yes, it affected him emotionally, but it went beyond that. It got to a point in Nehemiah's life where there was no going back. There was no going back from this point. From this day forward in his life, upon hearing this news, there would, no, there would be no going back to business as usual, to life as normal. His world was utterly different. His world was a different place that required a different degree of spiritual activity. And if I can today, just uh, for a moment, paint the backdrop of what is happening with Nehemiah, because I believe that the same thing needs to happen to us today, and it should not take uh, a world event for this to occur. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed and its walls broken down for over 140 years before Nehemiah had the sudden emotional and spiritual breaking, which in his life lasted anywhere between three to four months. But it is important for you to understand as you read the story that Nehemiah in most, uh, most likely was not hearing new devastating news. He was hearing old news that was hitting him in a new way. The walls had been broken down. The condition has been what it was, a sad and, and, and destroyed and, and, and disrepair. It had been that way for over a century. And, and I'm not saying that Nehemiah was living with blinders on, but whatever was taking place in Jerusalem had not really hit home the way that it should have. But when he heard the news on this day, it did something to him. It affected him. And I'm here to tell you today, church, uh, that what we are experiencing and what we are seeing in the world today is nothing new. Sin is not a new problem. I said sin is not a new problem. 
And the conditions that we're seeing in our world today and the condition that we are seeing happening around us uh, and, and the, the decline of our culture, it has been declining for a long time. It didn't just start declining in the, in the, the pandemic. It didn't start declining in the last five years. The world has been steadily declining over time. But what I'm praying today is that we, like Nehemiah, would have a life-altering encounter with God that would lead us to a place of consecration, a sobering encounter with the Holy Spirit and with His Word that we might internalize what is going on around us and wake up within our spirit and understand that God is awakening me. God is opening my eyes to see what is happening, not just so that I can be a concerned citizen, not just so that I can vote differently and you ought to do that, but so that I can pray differently and so that I can live my life differently according in a way that's going to make a difference in this world. Somebody give God some praise today. Before devising a plan, before beginning a project, Nehemiah spent much time praying and fasting before God. He spent time alone with God and asking God to go before him and to prepare him for the task of rebuilding a home for his people to gather and to worship freely. And I believe that if we want to see the kind of results that this man saw in his day, that we need to feel what he felt, amen. And we need to pray as he prayed, hallelujah. And we need to fast as he fasted, hallelujah. He interceded for the sins of Israel. And he prayed and he asked God to grant him favor. And in the process of time, God gave Nehemiah a dream to rebuild those torn down walls. And this was an incredible task. This was a monumental task that only God can make happen. And this brings me to my first point today, which is when I talk about the power of prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting pushes you to rely on God. It pushes you to rely on God. As we, church, go into a time, into a season of consecration, 21 days, amen, of prayer and fasting, we need to understand what this is doing to us. It is forcing, it is pushing, it is leading us to rely more on God instead of ourselves. You see, the temptation we all face is to resort on our flesh. Amen, somebody is to solely rely on our human strengths and abilities, our education, our knowledge, our resources, and our experiences. And all of those things can be uh, helpful and useful. But the temptation is to rely on those things instead of God, those things instead of the Spirit of God. Can I tell you, God doesn't need any of those things to accomplish His purpose. All He needs is His Spirit and a willing vessel. That's what God is looking for. And prayer, amen. You can give God a praise for that. Hallelujah. But prayer and fasting trains our spirit to be patient and trusting of God's sovereign purpose. The Lord said in Psalm 46 and verse 10, be still. Everyone say be still. Be still and know. Come to an awareness Come to a revelation. Come to an understanding in your life 
but you're not going to come to this understanding. You're not going to come to this wisdom unless you first be still. And if you be still and know that I am God. And prayer and fasting teaches us stillness before God. It teaches us patience before God. And sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is to be still. Why is it so hard? Because I don't know about you, but I typically associate stillness with inaction or passiveness. I don't know about you, but I feel like when I'm being still, like I'm not doing anything and something needs to get done. I feel like uh, I'm not being useful. I feel like maybe I'm, I'm being negligent or careless that, 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 that if I really care about something and if I really want to see action or if I want to see change, then, then I need to get involved. You know, I need to do something about it. I need to fix this problem. And our, our, many of our minds are programmed to respond to needs. You know, Within this house, we've got those of us that are just kind of natural uh, problem solvers, you know, and, and some of you are very good at that. And, and when you see something that needs fixing, you want to fix it. You want to fix what's broken. You want to, uh, uh, you know, repair whatever is in disrepair. And, uh, and usually this means uh, jumping into action. Yeah? Jumping into action. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to be action-oriented. Amen. But when you try to fix things in your flesh, it only makes matters worse because you're moving ahead of God. You're moving ahead of God. Nehemiah, you got to understand, he, he's a go-getter. Nehemiah did not become the king's cupbearer by being a slouch. Nehemiah was a worker. Nehemiah was a man of action. Nehemiah was somebody whom if you give him something, he's going to get it done. Huh? How many of you like working with people like that? Huh? They're just going to get it done. No excuses. No ifs, ands, or buts. You give them a project, they're going to do it. That's why he's right there serving at the right hand of the king. That's why he's in the position he's in, because he's the kind of man that likes to get his hands dirty and get things done. But sometimes our willingness to get, we can get in our own way. We can get in God's way if we're not careful. And this was a moment for Nehemiah to realize that, listen, if I'm really going to accomplish this task, I need to show some wisdom, some restraint, and some discipline because emotionally, I want to jump right in there. Emotionally, I bet Nehemiah just wanted to run to the front lines of where the problem was in Jerusalem and just start handing out orders and say, man, we need to fix this place. Come on now, somebody. Amen. I bet emotionally he wanted just to take charge and just say, you know what? I got this one. God shared this with me, so I need to do something about this. I need to fix things up. I need a clean house. But it took a lot of restraint, probably everything within the fiber of his being to say, hold up, wait a minute, I need to make sure that I have uh, the total confidence uh, and the support of God in everything that I'm doing, so I better not get ahead of God. And we have to have the same mentality as Nehemiah, and he's teaching us through his example. And I'm talking to everybody today, but especially those uh, who may have 
have a habit of getting ahead of God in whatever needs to be fixed in your life or in the world. I'm telling you today, he is teaching us that your greatest ability is not your abilities. Your greatest ability is your ability to rely on God to go before you. Somebody give God some praise here today. That's your greatest ability. Your greatest ability is not your abilities, your your gifts and your talents and your skills and your knowledge. Your greatest ability is your ability to let God be God and let him be in control. Amen. Somebody, somebody say amen. Nehemiah was in a high position. He could have taken all these immediate actions. He could have got on a power trip and just said, you know, I'm going to step on anyone who gets in my way. But instead, he went into prayer and fasting, and he began to wait on God, and he began to practice stillness. Listen, not just in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, but for the rest of the year and beyond. Church, let us practice stillness before God. Let us practice stillness. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? How do I practice? Do I just sit there, you know, designate a day, an hour out of my day where I just stare at the wall? What does that mean to practice stillness? Well, if that's what it takes, then maybe that's what you got to do. Hallelujah. But practicing stillness, amen, somebody, it, it's, it can be a number of things. Let me give you some examples. It, it starts by turning off the crazy distractions of this life. And sometimes you practice stillness by, by unplugging from your devices and unplugging from the social media and unplugging. And so if you want to have a successful fast this coming 21 days, then I, I, I highly advise you to, to unplug from the crazy distractions and the noise of this life. You, you can also practice stillness by showing restraint. And, 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 and showing restraint, uh, it looks like not giving your flesh everything that it wants. Amen, somebody. Amen. You know, I didn't know, I know that you talk about these kinds of, you don't get generally a lot of amen. People aren't hooping and hollering. But, you know, these are the kind of messages I think God gets excited about. Because finally he says, listen, if you will practice these things, uh, you will see me manifest my power, my glory. I'll start to work for you. But God's saying like this. He said, either you're going to work or I'm going to work. But if we're both working, we're fighting against each other. So either you work or make it a practice. It's not going to be easy. Your flesh is going to battle you for this. But you can have victory over it in the name of Jesus. Prayer and fasting also. Number two, positions you for favor. During this season of consecration, God was putting the pieces in place for Nehemiah to build. Most of all, God was preparing the heart of the king because the king's favor here would be the deciding factor in this entire process. The king of Persia. His name was King Art. Say that three times fast. I just call him King Artie. It's easier. He was not necessarily a godly man, but he was uh, generally considered a peaceful ruler, and his policies towards the Jews were very tolerant. And so God used this man. One doesn't have to be a man of God for God to. God can use anybody. 
<laughs> he can use anybody. Kings and queens and presidents and rulers. Amen. He can use them. And while Nehemiah was praying and fasting, God was working, massaging, preparing, melting the heart of the king. So that when Nehemiah's moment came to present this project to the king, the king would be ready. This was a king who had already demonstrated a willingness uh, and a leniency towards the Jews. Under his rulership, Zerubbabel and Ezra had already been allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and reform worship. So he had already demonstrated a willingness to help. But either, either way, he was still a king. And kings are not typically spiritually motivated. They're politically motivated. You know, so there's always a, a political angle to every decision he is making. There's no guarantee that he's going to sign off on Nehemiah's project and, 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 and put it in the budget and, and write the check and say, go ahead, you know, uh, we're going to remove all the red tape. for it. There's, no, there's no guarantee that this is going to happen for Nehemiah. But Nehemiah is praying and, and he's fasting for three to four months, uh, preparing himself. Uh, and this is why he prayed. And uh, in verse 11, notice his words, give your servant success, hallelujah, today by granting him favor. Everyone say favor. Granting him favor in the presence of this man, talking about the king. It's important to note, church, that Nehemiah had already found favor with God. This was not a prayer of favor with God. Now he is praying for the favor of man. And when you are aligned with the purposes of God, you will find favor with God and man. The more I am, the, the, the longer I'm in this, the longer I've been in ministry, the longer I've been in leadership, the longer I've been serving the Lord, the longer I've been uh, as a part of this church, the more I have realized, the more I have seen that to really make progress in what God is calling us to do, we need both vertical and horizontal uh, uh, favor. We need both favor with God and favor with man. You say, well, who cares about what man thinks? As long as we've got God on our side and, and God's favor, that's all we need. Well, you need to read your Bible and see the way that even when, when Moses wanted to deliver the people out of Egypt, did he not go to Pharaoh? And did God not touch Pharaoh's heart and found favor with him and said, go ahead, get out? I mean, he regretted it later, but he still got clearance. It's still required. Why does God work this way? Because God's a God of order. And God's a God who understands. He establishes human and governmental authority on the earth. He puts people where they are, even if they don't worship him. God's got it all set up in this world. And so he honors the system that he has put in place and he has allowed to flourish. And so when we as kingdom-minded people start thinking about what it is we want God to do in our lives, 
lives. And in our church, even the building of the church, which we're called to do, then we need to have a vertical and horizontal definition of favor and say, God, I'm praying not only for your favor, but give me favor with man so that, my God, so that, so that we can see what you have called us to see. I want to tell you something. When you are aligned with the kingdom of God, you will experience greater promotion and greater favor in this world because God will touch the heart of men and women that you come in contact with on a daily basis in your job, at school, in the marketplace, and it'll all be because of God. Somebody say amen. But it's favor. The favor of God, let me tell you, does not bless self-promotion. It's got to be about his kingdom. I'm not saying that if you just do this, you know, abracadabra, you can push these buttons and make God do something that he doesn't want to do. No, it's seek first the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. In all of his righteousness. So as long as you're walking in the will of God, as long as you're pursuing the kingdom of God, as long as his glory is your purpose in life, then you can expect favor with God and favor with man. Hallelujah. But the moment it becomes about us, the moment it becomes about our empire and our little kingdoms uh, and our own name and our own this and that, uh, that's when you start to see the doors start to close in this world. But I believe that God wants to give this church uh, and give you and your family and your marriage and your life greater favor to see the hand of God. Greater! Does anybody want to see the favor of the Lord? Can you give God about 30 seconds of praise? Come on now, somebody. Hallelujah. This is Jesus' model. In Luke 2, 52, tells us, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and even Jesus grows in favor with God and in favor with man. To build what God is calling us to build, we need him to soften the heart's of men. Amen. We need him to soften the hearts of men and women. And I'm just saying, I'm using men. I'm covering all the bases there. Uh, we need him to soften their hearts, whether they be businessmen, civil servants, government officials, whether they be your boss, or your co-worker, your client, uh, whether they be saved or unsaved, Christian or non-Christian, we need God to touch the hearts of people whose favor can make a difference in what we are trying to accomplish. You know, there are some big fish out there. Amen. Man, nobody said amen when I said I said, you know, there are some big fish out there. There are some big fish out there, you know. Big fish. You say, what, what, what kind of big fish? Fish who have access to more people, more resources, and more of everything that we need to build. More of everything that we need. You say, well, we don't need that. We don't know. Well, 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 well. Let's, let's look at what Scripture reveals about how God works. The coin is in the fish's mouth. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they took all the treasures of Egypt with it. Guess what? There are some treasures in Egypt that I think belong to the church. My God! Hallelujah! I said, I think there are some treasures in Egypt, in the world, that belong to the church. You know why? Because God says, that's yours. 
It belongs to us. Hallelujah, somebody. Now, I realize that what I'm saying, because I can feel it. I can feel it. There's, there, there's something that I'm not quite, I don't know if you're quite believing what I'm saying. You know, let me tell you, I'm going to put it, I'm just going to throw this out there, and I'm going to see what sticks, brother and sister. There's a billionaire in the Silicon Valley who is looking to finance our future church building. He just doesn't know it yet. One of you are connected to him or her. You just don't know it yet. I might be connected to him or her. They might be in this place today. <laughs> Where have you been hiding? <laughs> huh? But do you think God's just going to just send them our way? without any prayer and fasting and preparation. No, I believe God is preparing that person. There, there's a billionaire, and there's probably more than one here in the Silicon Valley that's just looking to write a check to see who, I, I just need to help somebody. See, Brother Jose's clapping his hands. <laughs> he knows, huh? <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if they, if they, if they wrote that check to the City Light Church to say, because of what you're doing here in this city, because of how you're helping people, because of the difference that you're making, you, th this city's a better place because this church is in it. Oh, my God. This, this world is a better place because of what you're doing. Hallelujah. Hey, let me tell you how favor works. When God grants us favor, I don't have to go to the bank and beg them for anything. When God grants us favor, we don't have to get in debt up to our eyeballs. When God grants us favor, God will open up every door that we need. I wish somebody would believe what I'm saying here today. Come on, is there a believer in the house of God? Is there somebody that knows that God can do it? Give God some praise today when God grants you favor and opens a door he'll open a door that no man can shut and the same opposite is true that when he closes the door no man can open it once God grants you favor with man you don't have to beg for your breakthrough and it it bothers me to see Christians with this mentality in their prayer life, this mentality in their, in their Christian walk, this mentality in their life of begging God. You don't need to beg God. You don't need to beg for your blessings. You don't need to beg for a breakthrough. Come on. You don't need to beg for what already belongs to you as a child of God. If you're walking in his ways and his glory is your purpose, you don't need to beg. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart oh so Nehemiah says it says in chapter 2 in verse 4 then the king said to him what do you request hey when you read that whole chapter you tell me where Nehemiah is on his knees begging oh would you have mercy no he you know why because he had already spent time praying and fasting before God and God prepared the heart of the king so the heart of the king was so touched by Nehemiah's dim demeanor and Nehemiah's spirit and he said hey what can I do to help you out I believe that God is going to put some people in our path that are just going to say hey how can I help you in what you need to do what can I do oh 
my God. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I feel something stirring in my heart. I'm preaching to myself today. I feel faith rising up. Anybody feel faith rising up today? Oh, get ready, brother. Get ready, sister. God's going to do it. And it's the power of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting not only does the things I've mentioned, but it prepares you for a new assignment as I get ready to close. It's easy to assume that Nehemiah was a natural fit for this monumental task. But let me remind you, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was not, Brother David, he was not a civil engineer. Nehemiah had a background in bearing cups, not building walls. It is easy to assume when we read these stories that these men and women were just like cut from a certain cloth that they just kind of knew automatically these things they had to do. Nehemiah spent all his time bearing cups. In fact, he, he didn't have any construction experience. He, he, was, more, he was more of a white-collar business executive type. He had spent time in, in, in a corporate office, so to speak. He didn't have any experience as a foreman at a construction zone. And yet this was what God had put in his heart to do. One of the ways you know that it's God talking to you is when he starts asking you to do things you've never done before. Oh, my God. You may have ex experience and expertise over here, but there's some things that just don't translate. And I can imagine that as Nehemiah was thinking about this wall, how am I going to build a wall? How am I going to build a wall? How, how, where, where do I even start? I don't even know any wall builders. I've never done this before. I've never, I've never ran this ministry before. I've never had a family before. I've never been in a situation like this before. I've never been asked, I've never been asked by the pastor to do this before. I've never, that, that's, not, that's, not my, that, that's not my territory. And that's the problem. We're in our territory, but God's calling us to new territory. And in order to get to new territory, we have to get beyond that fear of the unknown. That says, and those voices of the enemy that says, you don't know what you're doing. You've never done this before. You don't have the, the qualifications. You don't have the background. You didn't go to Bible college. You didn't go to this college. You don't have the, you, know, you don't know the right people. You haven't been to the right conferences. You haven't shaken hands with the right people. You, you, you're not on the inside track. You're not going to be, and you hear all these voices that are trying to discourage you and distract you. But what I see Nehemiah doing in his prayer and in his fasting, as he was beginning to rely on God, his God was saying, hey, I don't call the qualified. I, call, I qualify the called. All I need for you is to say yes, Nehemiah. All I need for you is to humble yourself under me. All I need for you is to be willing to go. And if there is somebody here today, look, at this is what's going to happen. As we are going through our time of prayer and fasting, as we are going through, we're not going, and I've said this before, 
and I say it respectfully. We don't do this so you can have a diet at the beginning of the year. This is not a spiritual diet, and it's not just so you can get closer to God. While I'm two inches closer to him than I was last year, it's not just getting closer to God. That is a benefit. We are going into a season of consecration so that God can help us rely more on him, so that God can prepare the kings that are out there, prepare the people that we're going to come into contact with, and so that God can prepare the vessel to do things that it's never done before. My God. Oh! If you come out of 21 days of prayer and fasting and you're still operating on the same level of faith, then you ought to add another 21 days to that. If you come out of prayer and fasting and you haven't done anything different for God, you don't even feel, uh, you know, you don't even feel the urge to do something different, then you better tack on another 21. Because what is the point of doing it if we're not going to be obedient to what God is calling us to do? Hear me today, church. I am including myself. I'm including everybody in this. It starts from the top down. It starts from the pastor to the leadership, the ministerial body, and to everyone that is here today. There's going to be some new things that God is going to do. There's going to be some changes. There's going to be some different things that you're going to see happening here at City Life Church. And it's all good and it's all wonderful. And there are things that, that, that I have been praying and, and fasting and seeking God about for, uh, for, for, a, for a while now. And I can tell you this, that... It might stretch us, uh, and it might uh, make us uncomfortable at times, uh, but that's when you know you're going to grow. We're never going to grow in comfort. Uh, Oh, hallelujah. Growth is not attracted to comfort. Uh, It's attracted to when we get uncomfortable. Would you stand with me here this afternoon, church? Uh, Hear me today. I need everybody in this church. I need everyone to hear my heart. I need everyone to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying saying to the church we're gonna pray and we're gonna fast but we're not just doing it so we can pat ourselves on the back and say well I did my prayer and my fasting so that makes me a good Christian no we're not gonna do that just because we're gonna do this prayer and fasting as a church so that all the things that God has given us to do so that we can have great success this year I believe after this in the Holy Ghost that God's going to touch the hearts of kings. I believe that God's going to touch the hearts of people. People who have access to more people. People who, my God, that if you get that one person saved, their whole family's going to get saved. I, I wish somebody would believe what I'm saying right now. Oh, my God. God, that's why the devil is fighting you so hard. Because he knows that if that one person gives their life, that one person gets on board, then everybody else is coming with them. So we've got to pray and fast. God, touch their hearts, God. Move upon them, God. Oh, that's got to be the focus of our prayer and our fasting, God. Touch them. If you, if you get the, if you get the, lead, you want to, so we're not talking about kings. And stuff. I'm not just talking about influential businessmen. If you save the leader of the gang that's been robbing and stealing in your neighborhood, guess what happens with all the little gangbangers that are going with them? The one they're all trying to be like, huh? I'm talking about the main vato, huh? Whatever his name is on the street. If he gets saved, imagine what happened with all the little vatos that are following him, huh? 
They're like, wow, what's going on in his life? They all want to start fun. That's a big fish, brother. Wow. I'm talking about trendsetters, uh, social media influencers. Uh, these are the people that God, oh my Lord. And the devil knows that if we see these people saved, who the access they have to other people. If we win, if we win those that are over uh, entire, Brother Jose, those that are over entire organizations, charity organizations. It's beautiful. And we can go in and just bless the people that are in need. But what happens when the one that's running the whole thing gets filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name? That's a big fish. You say, why? Because then they take the gospel like a Samaritan woman did to the rest of the village. Oh, my God. He said, but how is it going to happen? Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We're right there where you are. I'm going to invite you if you could begin to pray with me. I feel this, this is just a holy moment. This is a powerful moment that we're at right now in this service. And I, and I believe that as the, the, the praise team uh, makes their way up to this platform, we're going to worship him. But this is a holy moment right now. This is a moment of truth. This is a moment where it could change the rest of your life, my brother or my sister. This is a moment where if we will take this message to heart, uh, if we will go into these 21 days uh, with prayer and with fasting and believing for a revival, believing for a miracle, believing, oh my God, for the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem, believing that God's going to restore our family, going to restore, hallelujah, our sons and our daughters, restore what belongs to God I believe it I believe it if we go into it with all of our hearts Father we come before you right now come on I'm inviting somebody to